There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you? Welcome to another in our series, Disaster Porn. Oh, yeah, watch that ship capsize, Daddy. Oh, that explosion is so big. That's what you like, isn't it, you dirty boy? So much property damage, baby. Okay, stop cringing. I'll quit it. I'll quit it. This week, we're looking at one of the grand old dames of disaster movies, 1974's Earthquake. And you will never guess in a million years what Los Angeles disaster is the central plot point of this movie. Go on. You will never... Earthquake? Get... Oh. Well. <clears throat> Actually, you got that right. It's, it's, it's an earthquake. Huh. Well... Kind of ruins the rest of my intro, you guessing so quickly. <laughs> well, fine. See if I care. Anyway, I'm your host, the pastor of disaster, Max Levine, and over there, dragging himself out of the rubble of my introduction, is Mike, there's no need to panic, loose. <laughs> Tell us when we should panic, Mike. That was a grand old dame? <laughs> yes. It's it's a grand old. She's a dame. grand She's old a dame. High flying dame. <laughs> high flying dame. Wow, yep. that's a deeper. Whew. Yep, yep. But before we get to this, we we've got our own disaster. Our poll question. Ah, run. Poll question. What disaster movie plot do you find the most unbelievable? <laughs> <laughs> that's unbelievable. <laughs> Nick Gasparoni says the day after tomorrow, the, the ice hurricane megastorm, not a geostorm, mm. but a megastorm, that is depicted in the movie is physically impossible, and we are most definitely not headed toward a new ice age. Lol. Well, thank you, Nick. I hope you're right. Science, uh, science might Mackman. disagree with him, and also, at least you can outrun it. <laughs> yeah, yes, thank goodness. And Dave... Yeah. It brings his own unique interpretation. The blob. Eh? I love to see it in lectures about new technologies, but it's not believable. Okay. Interesting. I would not have thought of that as a disaster movie, but it kind of is. I, but also, I mean, intelligent grape jelly from outer space. What's unbelievable about that? <laughs> seriously. Dick Hoffman says, what a plethora of options. When worlds collide was always the standard bearer for me. Mm. Mm, okay. Everything about it is absurd. Followed closely by 2012 and the day after tomorrow. I think we've got a front runner yeah. here. Runner, I see what you did. <laughs> oh, oh, Quick, oh, outrun the Ice Age! Renew! <laughs> renew! Uh, Val Coons says, I think it would be easier to list the ones that are more believable. The premises of Towering Inferno, a skyscraper catches fire. Yeah. Yep. The Poseidon Adventure, a ship uprights. I assume she means overturns. Yep. Uh, earthquake, self-explanatory. Mm. They could all happen. What then happens to the plot becomes the fantasy. The, there is one I think could totally happen, and that is Sharknado. <laughs> we all have to watch the skis. Oh, I'm sorry, skies. <laughs> Mark my words. That You know, it's true. Sharknado, any day, people, wake That's up. That's okay. I just sprayed for shark la sharks last week. <laughs> Oh, good. Well, that'll help. Yeah, she has a thing about that'll... Sharknado. She actually likes it in a non-ironic kind of way, which, well. Wow, I 
You share genetic material with her. <laughs> okay. Willingly. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding, <laughs> Val. I'm just kidding. Dr. Professor Rebecca Pelkey says, asks, does Night of the Lepus count as, as a disaster movie? Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> In both that it is a disaster and a disaster of a yeah. movie. Well, at least it has. Who's There's the star a of that? of killer rabbits headed this yeah, way. Who's the star of that? Somebody surprising. It's... Um, DeForest Kelly is Isn't it got wire hangers in it? What's her name? Um, oh, Benny No, Davis? the other one. No, the, the Mommy Dearest. That's the wire hanger. What? That? Oh. Uh, I can't remember her name. I, I might either. have to. Oh, Joan, Joan Crawford. Crawford. I think she is me. in that. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and from the snowy, dis- the snowy disaster of the North, we have Vince says, the core has one of the dumbest impossible plots ever. You are not wrong. 2012 really threw me with its mutant neutrinos or whatever. The disaster porn was amazing. Stupid as hell, but amazing. Most of these films run in pure over-the-top destruction, and I am not ashamed to say that can be damn entertaining, enough to turn your brain off for a couple of hours and enjoy the mayhem and not have to even try to make sense of mm. it. That is, that is, you have summed up the reason we're doing this series pretty solidly. Yeah. What, drill to the center of the Thank earth you, and not have Arnie Sackneson or, yeah. Get through. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just before we get any email, it was not Joan Crawford, it was Janet Lee. <laughs> that oh. was it, Night of the okay. Leapets. <laughs> well, that's very different. <laughs> well, good for her, I guess. Yep, yep. So, that, that's, that's it. Thank you for your answers. Well, what about you? They were, oh, me? Yeah. Uh, the most unbelievable? Yeah. Oh, God. I wonder if we're going to have the same. Uh, honestly, it's what, one of the ones we probably are going it's to going see to but haven't yet. It's going to be Moonfall. Yep. <laughs> the, basically, the moon almost bumping against the earth and just sort of, just no, no, we'll, we'll get to it, but it's that. Yeah. It's that. Yeah. I, I'm going to you agree. Too. It is also Moonfall, and we will say very little here, so we can say more there. But speaking of yes. saying more there or yes. here, would you uh, give us some trivia? I, mean, I can't imagine there's much that has to do with well, this film. There has to be. The, oh, there's the a new poll question. poll question. Oh, we are. There is. Oh, a new yes. part of our show. A new poll. Awesome. I know. I thought I'd just mix it up a little bit. You know, push the envelope, shift the paradigm. Uh, Jerk the turkey. Dust, dust the uh, wombat. I, I don't know. Yeah. What? This is a little unrelated, but what is your favorite cinematic hand-to-hand fight scene, with or without melee weapons? No guns. Okay. And you can. We'll tell you at the end of the show how you can answer that in case for some reason you don't already know. Okay. But but yes, now we have trivia. The facts. The budget for this was $7 million. Surprisingly low, considering the star powers in this. Box office take, $80 million. Oh, so, that's too bad. Only, yeah, well, only more that, than 10 times the amount they made. Okay. It's not like they did an earthquake, too, but the, you know, the disaster movies, especially Airport, uh, they made a ton of cash. Yeah, apparently Airport seems to have started this whole mess. It, yeah, it's pretty much Airport's fault four years earlier in 1970. Yeah. Uh, this movie is an Oscar winner. I know. Yes, it won the Oscar for Best Sound and was nominated. <laughs> it also was given a Special Achievement Award for Visual Effects. Yeah, we'll get back it, to that. It was nominated for Cinematography, Best Art Direction, and Best Editing. That Notice- last one really surprised me. 
Notice what's missing from the list of nominations. Oh, yeah. Anything <laughs> resembling acting or directing. We'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, after the runaway success of Airport, as we mentioned, Universal was very keen to try another disaster movie, recruiting uh, the producer Jennings Lang for the task. The idea was a film based around an earthquake. The idea for the film came from the 6.6 magnitude earthquake that hit San- the San Fernando Valley in 1971. One of many. Mm. As part of a new marketing gimmick to promote action and disaster movies in the 70s, Theaters were asked to install a new audio system called <sighs> Sensoround, which has gone into the Hall of Infamy. Yeah. Sensoround produced a low frequency sound vibration along theater seats, giving the audience the feeling of being in the movie, allegedly. For this movie, when there was an earthquake, Sensoround would vibrate the seats like an actual earthquake. Unfortunately, the speaker system was a custom job that often required removing a couple of rows of seats, and it was expensive. There were other problems, too. Uh, The United Artists Theater in Chicago had to shut it off when small pieces of plaster from the ceiling began falling on audience members. The same thing happened in the... the experience. The same thing happened in the Bethany Theater in Arizona. Also, people were actually experienced injuries, like cracked (laughs) teeth and... uh, bruised ribs from being thrown out of their seats or shaken too hard. Okay, that that one I find... Because I've, I've experienced sense around and it wasn't... Basically, you know when you're driving down the road and you come to a stoplight and you can feel the rap music in the car next to you? That's what sense around was like. Kinda. Before stereo television sound was commonplace, NBC aired the movie with the soundtrack simulcast on local FM stations. So the viewers could recreate Sense Around at home. We. <laughs> sure, on their little transistor radios. Well. Sense Around was only used three more times. In Midway, the, that was a battle uh, about Pearl Harbor. Roller Coaster, I, I don't know what that was about. <laughs> and, and another Lorne Green movie, Battlestar Galactica in 78. Yep. That's the one I saw. <laughs> uh, one of the... Actually, I think I I remember enjoying when I first saw this was the odd cameo appearance by Walter Matthau in this movie. Oh, but it's not Walter Matthau. Well, I'm getting there. <laughs> yes, it, uh, give me a little credit here. The producer <laughs> Jennings Lang offered a cameo role to his buddy Walter Matthau. Matthau accepted without compensation under the condition that he's billed under the name, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Walter. Matashansky Sky Ski. Now, is that actually Walter Matthau's real name? No. The oh. last name is part of a long-standing inside joke that he'd used for decades. Oh. Uh, the role was originally scripted as A Drunk Sits at the End of the Bar, which was expanded by the writer George Fox, giving the character <sighs> lines of dialogue involving toasts to celebrity, like Spiro Agnew, Bobby Riggs. Yeah. And when the film was completed, as agreed by Lang and Matthau, the drunk was credited as Walter blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> this is what led to the long-standing and false rumor that that was actually Matthau's real, real name. Ah. It is not. Well, it's his own fault then, isn't it? Yes. And we'll be coming back to Mr. Walter. <laughs> In the scene where Stuart Graff, Charlton Heston, 
is running lines with Denise Genevieve Bujold. The script he's holding is actually the script for this movie. Uh, and it's on the page for the scene being shown. Charlton is literally reading his lines off the script. Mm. And did you notice a difference between that and his supposed performance? Not I even didn't. a little. We'll get back to him. And of course, the score was composed by, believe it or not, John Williams. Yeah. Who also did the score for Towering Inferno and The Poseidon Adventure. Mm. He was briefly called, he had the nickname, the King of the Disaster Scores. Yeah, he was uh, floating high off his uh, big uh, commitments to Gilligan's Island and Lost in Space. So, <laughs> Yep, yep. Look it up. In people. an odd coincidence, at the location of the first day of shooting, there was an earthquake. <laughs> and even more oddly, on the last day of location shooting, there was an earthquake. Did they film it? Coincidence? <laughs> I mean, it's L.A., not really. <laughs> yeah, true. Or I guess, yes, it's a coincidence. At the time, this movie set the record for the largest number of stunt people employed in one movie with, at 141. Yikes. Yeah. Now, to give you some scale, the current record holder is The Dark Knight Rises, which used 267. Oh, my gods. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's a lot of people. Ava Gardner surprised the director, Mark Robson, by insisting on doing her own stunt work, which included dodging concrete blocks and steel pipes. Uh, yeah, that's really her there. Why? Who knows? Okay. The crash that uh, the motorcycle daredevil shaft, I'm sorry, Miles <laughs> Quaid, because, ha you know, I hear that Miles Quaid is one bad mother. Shut your mouth. I'm just talking about Miles. <laughs> Uh, he has coming out of the loop on the stunt track wasn't scripted. It was an actual spill taken by white stuntman Bud Ekins, who, by the way, you can see, if you look closely, it, you can see the guy riding the motorcycle is white. I didn't notice that, but I was like, I, wow, that was really well done. I totally bought that accident. I see why. It was real. Yep. They just Ooh. used it. In the, it was, he wasn't hurt. But they used it in the uh, final cut. I don't cut. know how. I don't either. He, he fell had a motorcycle down. fall on him. <laughs> I know. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, the producers for this didn't originally want Ava Gardner. They actually traveled to Europe to try to get. Oh boy, Audrey Hepburn. No. For the yes, for the role of Rebby Royce Graff. No. Yeah. Audrey no. had been retired from films for almost 10 years and for some crazy reason didn't like the dialogue for the character or the physical requirements of the film what? and turned them down. Thank gods. What a character for her not to play again Seriously. and again. Whew. Yeah. Here, a little thing on the double standard. Critics often complained that Ava Gardner looked much too old to, to be Charlton Heston's wife. She's one year older than he is. Yeah, I think I read also she's literally nine years younger than Lauren Green. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, actually, yeah, he's seven years older. Yeah, or seven. Yeah, yeah. So her, her uh, who plays her dad? So that, he he always looks daddish. I actually did. I bought that. It was fine. That wasn't the yeah. problem. But we'll come yeah. back to that. Yeah, this is the part that surprised me. the uh, The first draft of the screenplay was written by Mario Puzo. <laughs> Yeah. The guy who wrote The Godfather. <laughs> yep. Uh, 
And apparently it really bothered a lot of the execs at Universal's because it was very multi-layered with characters and depth, <laughs> and it took place over a really wide geographical area of Los Angeles. So because of that, the budget estimates skyrocketed, and mm. they rewrote the script to bring it under control. Well, uh, he also had so, had a, had an obligation. You, I don't think yeah. you would have heard of it. It was this little tiny unknown film. Yeah, he was off doing Godfather too, so he was unavailable for the rewrite. Yeah, but a lot of the original characters and story arcs still made it into the final film. We oui. now this is this will settle the controversy that I'm sure has been plaguing you. Rosa in this movie, you know, is played by Victoria Principal, whom I've and, seen naked. <laughs> <laughs> Who we all have seen naked, but. Uh, that is her hair. That is not a wig. Really? That is confirmed during an appearance on The Tonight Show in 1974 when Johnny Carson asked her if her curly hair was a wig and she said it was her own hair. Wow. Cause yeah, it must have been teased mercilessly. <laughs> well, she should have been because she managed yeah. to take a whole lot of effort and product and make her hair look like a real wig. Yeah, it did. It, it, it is amazing. It looks more like a wig than the guy in the movie who wears a wig, but we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah when the el There's a scene where an elevator cable snaps and the elevator crashes to the uh, ground. Ah, uh, yes. It, there is a rather unrealistic amount of animated <laughs> blood splashed onto the screen. The, I mean, they were originally supposed to spray stage blood, but they couldn't get it to work correctly. Eventually, they decided to use animation instead. This led to the rumor that the MPAA required them to use obviously cartoon blood to cut down on the screen violence, but that is not true. I mean, it, we'll get to this, but it was so bad I was waiting for the Looney Tunes theme. Yeah. <laughs> the original, this is a bit of a spoiler for the ending, but the original <gasps> shooting script had Charlton Heston's character survive at the end of the film, while both uh, Ava Gardner and George Kennedy were killed in the storm drain tunnel, hmm. with Slade being crushed in the narrow uh, tunnel by the concrete block that falls down and Remy S being swept away by the flood. Slade. But Heston was dissatisfied with the script as written, since his character survives to rebuild the city with his mistress by his side, which he felt was not, and I quote, morally sound... And a predictable ending. Since Heston had script approval for God knows what reason. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Give give Charlton Heston script approval. Not Ava Gardner. Give the monkey approval, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Oops. Just, he insisted that his character die while trying to save his drowning wife. <sighs> Despite the director's attempt to film the original ending, which, but uh, Heston flatly refused the change was made slade survives and said the so the final lines of the film originally intended for heston ah uh, yeah i'm gonna sink this bitch oops yeah pretty much <laughs> and there's a lot more a lot of it is really interesting but uh i think that'll that's enough for here but now we want to hear this incredibly yeah. complex mario oh, yeah. puzzo storyline just boiled down to like 10 seconds can you do yeah. that max no. Oh. <laughs> so well, here. give it your best shot. <laughs> well, I actually do at the end. You'll see. It's a peaceful day in Gotham City. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean Los Angeles. Sorry. Sorry. People are going about their business. Brilliant architect Charlton Heston, Stuart, is cheating on his rather abrasive wife, Remy, played by Ava Gardner, with the widow of some guy whose death he feels guilty for, Genevieve Bujold. 
Uh, she's the widow, not the guy who died. And even even as he works for her father, Pa Cartwright, sorry, I mean Lorne Green. <laughs> Elsewhere, we see motorcycle stunt with Shaft, I'm sorry, Miles, played by Richard Roundtree, with his comic relief sidekick Sal and Sal's hot sister Rosa, played by, as I said, Victoria Principal. Elsewhere, even more, we meet veteran burnt-out cop Lou Slade, George Kennedy. <laughs> oh, you know, it's going to be bad now. <laughs> Unbalanced grocery clerk turned National Guardsman Jody, apparently the psych screening for the guard, leaves something to be desired. Yeah. And lovable dr- w- drunk Walter Matsuchenskafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafinkafink
All right, so Max is not feeling well. We're going to get a replacement (laughs) for the rest of the show. It's true. I'm telling you, the purple fairies who live in my dental floss container told me. (laughs) Because I swear, everything I've seen him in, he's greasy or sweaty or just (laughs) visually really unappealing. And then you find out he can't act. And boy, does he prove it in this film. Boy. Uh, And he decides to take his shirt off a lot to show off... Um, I don't his, know. Uh, his abundant body hair? I'm not sure. And he's like, we see him jogging, I guess. Cause in, and his wife complains about him always exercising. And it's like, I mean, he must do it in mm. some other film. But it's like, I just I just find him unappealing. He's our hero. He's, I, yeah, he grits I, his teeth. He's constipated. He could not have been crushed. I, I kept waiting for him to be crushed to death by rubble. It couldn't happen soon enough. And... The first time I saw this film, I was a kid, and I think it's the last time I saw this film. So we're talking on TV in the 70s at yeah. some point, and there was two things I remember, and one of them was him getting swept away down the manhole, which I was glad to see I was I did not get wrong. I just, I don't understand the appeal of Charlton Heston, and no, I don't it's understand, well, how the hell did Orson Welles hire him as a Mexican? Because we found that out when Seriously. we watched uh, Touch of Evil, that it was his idea. So whatever. I don't. Yeah. I, I did not find him appealing. Ava Gardner. I don't know enough about her other roles, but here she plays a cliched shrill harpy left over from yep. '60s sitcoms. I can't tell if that's her fault or the directing or what. I think but, it's more the directing. I mean, mostly she was like played these sultry, uh, sexy characters. Yeah, and she's pretty good. She is not, you know, th- this isn't Helen Mirren here. This is <laughs> she's Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren. She's uh, she's okay. Yeah, I mean, she was a huge name. Unfortunately, yeah. for a lot of it, she was well, known because she was married to Frank Sinatra. See. When you say she's a huge name, this this movie is filled with people who were huge names. Yeah, yeah, this is true. Now. This is 1974, kind of past her peak. Yeah, yeah, as is true of most of them, except for George Kennedy, who is immortal. Oh. <laughs> George Kennedy, the humorless, oafish George Kennedy, who basically <laughs> brutes his way through his film like he does in all of his other roles. Yep. I mean, honestly, it does not matter what he's wearing. George Kennedy plays George Kennedy. Pretty much. Um, he could be a pilot. He could be a cop. He could just be a random guy on the street. Yeah. And it's just, he's his usual brutish self here. There's nothing new. He has no more depth than he ever has. I nope. honestly don't think the man has ever smiled. I really don't. He just seems utterly without oh, he, any... He grins every so often. I mean, but I remember him in one of the airport movies, he's, he's sort of supposed to be jovial. <laughs> he was. Yeah. He's always just bitching at people to get out of the way so he can make that airplane get out of the snowbank or whatever. Something I just, like that. I mean, I can't fault his acting because he's so consistent. It's exactly the same in every role. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you he's know a what cop you're getting this time. You, you know what you're getting with your George Kennedys. Yep. Lauren so, Green is Lauren present. Green. <laughs> he's there. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, Adam, oh, but you look troubled. This time he has a mustache. Yes. <laughs> That's literally the only difference between this and any other role I've seen him in. This time, Lorne has a mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's Commander Adama. He's Pa Cartwright. Uh, he's Lorne Green. You know, yeah. again, you know what you're getting with Lorne Green? You're getting Lorne Green. Right, so... And yeah. you're getting his cool voice. That's about it. Yeah, he's fine, I guess. I'm sure he's Ava Gardner's dad. 
I believe that as much as I believe anything in this film. So why yeah, not? Yeah. Genevieve Bujold, I didn't recognize her, did not know she played the Borg Queen. Sorry, oh. I, I'm actually wrong about that. She oh. was supposed to play the Borg Queen. She did end up playing a Borg in one, in, in some version. She was oh. supposed to be the original Captain Janeway. Oh, I'm yeah. glad that, well, I don't know. Here she just feels a little light in her acting skills, but again, yeah. I don't know if that's her the directing. This may just be early in her career and she gets better. I don't know her from anything. It's hard to tell. Richard Roundtree, I'm going to say he was totally wasted. Yeah, he gets to do almost nothing, and mostly he's just sort of, you know, I'll say he doesn't do too much jive talking. No. But mostly it's about, I'm going to be bigger than, and here is a a reference that has not aged well, but he wants to be bigger than evil Knievel, who I think nobody knows anymore, and if you do, it's kind of a, ooh, right, him. Yeah, well, he... I remember we always used to watch him, and then didn't he end up being some like ultra right wing or racist? Well, he also beat, he broke some guy's arms with a baseball bat because he mouthed off at him. Well, there you go. But yeah, he doesn't have much to do, which is too bad. I don't. Yeah. I, I can't. There's not enough of his acting to really comment on. Mostly, it's okay. I'll drive the truck, or I'll fall <laughs> off the motorcycle, and that's kind of it. Uh, Walter Matthau. My my note was what the flying hell. Yeah. Uh, famous I- pimp. Maltor Matthau, because that's yeah. how he's dressed. He's got this. Yep. Ho- he actually has um, Victoria Principal's wig, and he yeah. has a, a, a pimp hat and a, a pimp shirt and red pimp, pimp hat. Yeah, I, I and, don't. And his whole shtick is drunk. Is drinking. He's basically the lovable drunk. You know, he's he sits at the end of the bar occasionally. He goes Bobby Riggs or Sparrow yeah. C. Agnew, and, and then you see him at the end in down in a parking garage dancing. <laughs> At, excuse me, staggering because he's drinking while he's dancing until he falls over because that's funny. He's staggering Public. in rhythm. Yep. <laughs> Public drunkenness is funny. Yeah. Well, and also that they have to actually, after the, the earthquake has started, we have to have a little joke of him saying, what do you have to do to get a drink around here? Like, literally, why is Whackety he Whackety do. Oh, my God. I don't, he just. Yeah, well, besides, you're sitting there going, at first I'm like, oh, it's Walter. Is it Walter Matthau? <laughs> maybe it's just it's somebody who looks like him. And it's, then the credit the comes costume. up. Well, and you get the credit comes up and you've almost convinced yourself, oh, it's somebody that looks like, wait a minute, that name. Mm, yeah. I'm looking that up. And sure enough, it was him. But whatever. <laughs> there is an actor in here I would like to spend a little time on. Um, and sure. that's Marjo, Marjo Gortner. Uh, yeah, the guy who plays uh, Jody, the... Uh Gro- creepy grocery clerk slash National Guards corporal or something. Maybe bisexual. I don't know. It's hard I to tell. Well, well so they, they spend, we spend time with him and he gets called up. He hears over the radio because that's how they let you know that the National Guard's been called up and one of his units yeah. is one of them. So he leaves the grocery store, goes home where he's accosted by these three guys who apparently accost him all the time. For some reason. For some reason in a plot that honestly I found very unnecessary. And we see him go to his crappy little apartment, and on the walls are all these pictures of oiled-up bodybuilders, except there's one photo of a woman, almost yep. like, oh, I'm not gay. And he gets also himself... Also, military a, memorabilia. Yeah. Old, so it's old like soldier helmets. Well, I couldn't tell. Are we going to start making him out like he's a Nazi? I don't, I don't know. But then he puts on a wig, 
Because that's a problem, because apparently if your hair's too long, you can't be in the national... I don't know. Uh, I'm pretty sure they don't let you wear a wig (laughs) if your hair is not regulation length. I think they're a little sharper than that. Or, in the cases of something like an earthquake, they're just not going to care. Yeah. But he then leaves his apartment and is accosted again for reasons. And they call him a fag. Yeah, yep. they call him a fag, and it's like, whatever. Why did you let them in? Like, why didn't you? I don't know. Yeah, I can't even it's figure. It's confusing. I, that, I, that gets, and it gets weirder, but Marjo Gortner as an actor is odd. And I only yeah. know him from one other role. Do you know that, another film he's I in? I do. He was in Star <laughs> Crash, The Adventures of Stella Star. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh. But now, see, I wanted to look him up because I'm like, what is the, where did the name Marjo come from? And it turns out that as an actor, he's barely interesting. But as a person, he actually has a really interesting background. So Marjo Gortner, age four, was a proselytizing minister. At age four? At age four. His parents, who were also evangelists of their own kind... I basically pushed him uh, into this. That and adds some, that, sorry, the, that adds some irony to the line. At one point, there are these Hare Krishna outside his store, and he's trying to get uh, George Kennedy, the cop, to shoo them off. And Kennedy looks at him and goes, what, you got something against religion? Well, that actually is more ironic because he went through age four to age 16 being this evangelical minister, at which point he's like, this is all bunk. And my parents and all these other people are just rooking people for money. I'm going to invite a film crew along for my final tour. We're going to film it, and I'm going to make a documentary exposing all this junk and releasing it. And it was called Marjo, and apparently it was quite successful. And he's just like, people say they got healed. I got to tell you, I know for a fact I didn't do anything. This was all junk. And so that line is actually commenting on his real life, which is far more interesting. Marjo, by the way, and I hope you cringe the way I cringed when I found it out, is a combination of the names Mary and Joseph. Oh, dear. Exactly. So... Well, interesting. Yeah, and he apparently was quite an accomplished musician. He played in some bands. He just wasn't a very good actor, that's all. Yeah. Um, this part, wow. though, is just bizarre. I just want to throw that in because I was once I found out, I was like, oh, that's a- that actually, in some cases, more interesting than the film. Yes, we also um, have Donald Mantooth, brother of the more famous Randolph Mantooth of emergency fame. And what did he play? Oh, you want to know who he played? Now, he was the... Uh, <laughs> He was the seismologist who was sounding the alarm. Oh, he the was young, the, the intern, we, the kid. We've got to tell people. Yeah. And there, I know we're still talking about the actor, but there you have one of the big disaster movie tropes of we, the young, impre- you know, naive, we've got to tell people, we have to warn them. And the seasoned, more political guys going, we can't do that. Uh, it, we, you know, it could cause a panic. You can't send this poor boy to prison! <laughs> Pretty much. Well, we'll get back to that, because I actually do want to talk about that. Uh, yeah. I want to say, as far as the cast goes, at least for me, and the rest, because... Yeah, I mean, nobody gets much time to do anything. It's not like no. you can develop any of these characters. Victoria Principal does okay, although her character is kind of confusing. I don't know if she's supposed to be 
a, 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 a the stereotypical seventies dumb bimbo or yeah. the streetwise well, tough girl or she I, has I one other scene and we'll get to this later. But no, let's get to it now. There is a scene where she basically flashes her yummies, although she's wearing a t-shirt yeah, at George yes. Kennedy, and we get to watch this scene of George Kennedy literally drooling. Yeah, and over every her. other man in the bar is very is staring quite openly at her chest. And it's just uncomfortable and gross. Not just because it's a woman forced it's to It's very do 70s. It's because it's George Kennedy. <laughs> and he's like three yes. times her age. And it's yeah. just nasty. Um, and it's, yeah, the acting otherwise. I will say these are my favorite performances, though, by Kip Nivens and Tiger Williams. <laughs> I just saw those names in the opening credits. And the credits for actors go on for screen after screen. Because yeah, there's, there's so many people, people. But it's like... Kip Nivens, Tiger Williams. Tiger Williams played the kid um, who played a kid for the next six years and then left Hollywood, which is Uh, just fine with me. Yeah. So that's it. That's all I have for the the, the cast. The cast ranges from, yeah, that's what I was expecting to, oh, dear gods, really? Yeah. You don't really watch these movies for the acting acting prowess. To be fair, a lot of times you watch these movies to see who gets killed. <laughs> it's you, yeah. There are often formulas you can follow. Usually, the biggest names survive. This movie is unusual in that both Charlton Heston and Ava Gardner die. And you know, I hate to find out that it was Heston's idea, but I got to say, I find it kind of brave of the filmmakers to actually release it that way because usually you don't do that. You don't yeah. kill off your stars, but. I think it does add some weight to the story. Like, this could happen to anybody, even Charlton Heston. <laughs> well, it's also it's an interesting sort of quandary because, again, we're jumping to the end of the movie, but they're in this uh, uh, storm pipe, and somehow Heston, Eric Gardner, and Genevieve Bujold have all ended up in the same place. Of course they have. And Genevieve's gotten out, and she's yeah. looking down at the pipe, and Heston's climbing up, and uh, Ava Gardner falls into the water, and he sits, hangs there for a minute, and he look it up, and there's there's the woman he actually wants to sleep with, and there goes his wife, and he jumps in after his wife. Yep. And to be fair, they may just come out the other end. We don't know. It's unlikely with that much water, they'll probably be battered to death before they get to the opening, but yeah. Well, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Oops. Yeah. So, the, when I first started watching this film, I was like, ah, yes, the 70s, when everything was grainy. <laughs> yes, and, oh, Lord, the clothes and the hair. <laughs> well, and Heston's car. What is he, part of the A-team? What the hell I was mean, that thing? <laughs> it has a big there was stripe odd, on it. Apart from, there's like one, Chevy, one Chevette and one other Chevy. All the other cars in this movie are over 10 years old. Yeah, well, that's because they're going to have to destroy them. They're so. going to all get smashed up, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then we get this, uh, in the middle of the film, we get this announcement that says, and now we return you to Bullet, already in progress. As we get a car <laughs> chase with George Kennedy going after this guy, this, in I guess he's a car. meth head or whatever they had yeah. back then, in a uh, really banged up old Porsche. And that's part of the um, plot, sort of. Yes. Um, but whatever. Kennedy's a good cop. And this is the 70s, and oh boy, is it the 70s. Not because of the clothes, but just because of the way they approached the film. All of these stars, and it's not capitalized. Um, Again, we talked about how a lot of them were really big 10 years ago. 
and the graininess of the film, but also the approach to filmmaking. And this is partially now that I heard your trivia, Puzo's fault. Yeah. Where it's like, no, we're going to have a lot of character development and story in this. We're going to actually give you reasons to care for these characters. I mean, which you understand. I mean, that's part of the tension of the disasters. Sure. You're supposed to worry about the people who are in peril. Right. We don't. <laughs> no, we really, really don't. I mean, I was kind of worried about Lauren Green's secretary. She seemed nice. And I didn't, I thought Denise, the, the, or um, Genevieve Bujold, she seemed nice. Yeah. She has a kid who, <laughs> okay, honey, go to school. Okay, I'm going to drive through all the power line towers I can find and then the LA River to get yeah. to school. <laughs> No, he's going to play in the park, which is on the other side of the L.A. River, apparently. I mean, I think it takes the kid an hour to bike to school, and he has to go through, like, uh, I mean, does he go through, like, a nuclear power plant as well? (laughs) What the hell? Um, I don't know, but those, otherwise, I see what they're doing. It's just that we don't... It doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work, and I think there was actually too much character development, because it takes 53 minutes to get to the reason we're here, which is the, the earthquake, is earthquake, and it's almost halfway through the film. I checked, though, it is only eight minutes before we get our first fatality, and I'd like to take a moment of silence for Brad the Damn Guy. <laughs> Poor Brad the Damn Guy, who yep. had been in an episode of Star Trek, so he, okay. he was in the, uh, uh, the original um, iMud. No, no, oh. Mud's Women, Mud's Women, okay. sorry. And yep. he drowns in an elevator shaft, mysteriously. Yeah. Well, let's cycle back, because you brought this up, but I actually had some notes on it, and that is the idea that, oh, you can't tell everyone, blah, blah, blah. They talk about this more than they usually do. In most films, it's, no, of course we can't tell people, they'll panic, and they leave it at that and wander off. And here, they say that, but then they're like, well, all right, if we do, what happens? Who do we tell? Yeah, and where do the people... He says we we could evacuate people, and as they point out, to where? Right. What, we send them out into the desert? Do you know how many people would die out there? Right. Well, and one of the questions you might ask is, well, L.A. being right on top of a fault, hasn't anybody yeah. ever thought to plan for this? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. Can I believe that? Yes, I can. But they at least look at the idea. They, they initially yeah, they, dismiss they him. They acknowledge it. They acknowledge it, and they say, well, all right, okay, if we do tell anybody, we can't just announce it on the radio. Good plan. Don't do that, because yeah. what they say will happen will happen. People will panic, and suddenly nothing nothing good happens. All right, do we tell the governor? Maybe. Maybe we tell the mayor. Okay, let's maybe talk. And they do. They actually go and talk to the mayor, especially when they found out the one scientist are like, yeah, kid, you don't know anything. We're going to wait to talk to the scientist. Um, the scientist was killed and he's crushed between uh, two pieces of earth that came together in that little earthquake. Let's go talk to the mayor. <laughs> the sheep knew. And the dogs. So there's a lesson. Listen yep. to the dogs. Listen to, Listen the, dogs. to the dogs. <laughs> They'll tell you when the earthquake is coming. Now, and I do appreciate that that fact that they don't just drop that plot point and they actually start to do something about it. Although the mayor, quite understandably, all, meaning that I believe that a mayor would do this, says, "Well, you can't just tell everyone. What am I? Sp- I'll look like a laughingstock if I if I give out the wrong information, or if you give out the right information, you might save thousands of lives." But well, I, the only one who had a had almost a point was the head of the Seismographic Institute, who said. 
what if we tell people that there's going to be an earthquake and there isn't, and then 10 years later we figure out how to really predict them, they won't listen to us. Although the kid points out, what is the point of trying to predict earthquakes if we don't tell anybody? And why did we build the seismology, the institute on a seesaw? Because as soon as the earthquake hits, <laughs> one of the worst hit places, this is spy seismology institute. Yeah. They're like flinging themselves into the air and all the equipment falls off the tables. Yep, yep. And I got to say, Charlton Heston makes an interesting point about Los Angeles when they're He's because you know he's an arch, he's a freelance architect who's also a safety woman. Uh, sorry, that's a deeper. I wish he was safety woman. <laughs> he says it's the first time I'm ashamed of my profession. We should never have built these forty story forty. That's cute. Forty story monstrosities. Excuse me, yeah. Max. I believe what he said was it's the first time I'm ashamed of my profession. <laughs> now you sound like Quincy. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no, for the first time, I'm ashamed of my profession. Yeah, I got a little Kirk Douglas in there, but you'll work on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean, he does have a point. If you're going to, and although they have designed them, because there's plenty in Japan where yeah, they. Now they do. sort of just shimmy. Yeah, and they have the cute little, like, erector set model that he pokes at in the film that goes, see, yeah. it could work. There is one one thing the uh, that gets destroyed that really made me sad, and that was the Taco Bell bell, as you <laughs> noticed that that Spanish mission, which was either the bell from Mission brand uh, tortillas or Taco yeah. Bell's Taco yeah. Bell. It looked goes pretty down. familiar. And so now the poor uh, swallows won't know when to come back to Capistrano. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I there's there's all this character development. We've got Shaft on his motorcycle, which. Okay, I mean. Yeah. By the way, did he survive? We see I don't him know. trying to outrun the floodwaters, and it looks like he takes a turn up a street that's going to high ground, and then for some reason he decides to stop and watch, and that's the last we see of him. Oh, there's something you don't see every day. <laughs> but I do. Yeah. And I I gotta say I can't. I'm surprised this movie was nominated for best editing, because the scenes are really choppy. It's just like, hell, here we are, and now we're here. And, well, that scene just ended, so now we're over here. To give you one of the more distasteful moments, I thought, is there is a sequence where Charlton Heston and Genevieve Bujold are in her apartment, and he has come over to do the sex with her. And <laughs> it's pretty obvious. <laughs> and they're just sort of looking at each other in one scene. And the next scene, instantly, by the way, there's no dissolve. It's just jump cut. And they're in the bedroom, both fully clothed, but apparently they have just had sex because she is talking about when you made love to me, you were so angry. Like the human. <laughs> I know. We, we have it, to stop referencing robot We monster. really do, eventually. <laughs> but, you know, yes, you are angry. You can't be angry at me. I'm French. Well, she has a point. What point? Anyway, How yeah. should I know? My head hurts. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, oh, okay. Is there like a scene missing? At least with, did did he actually kiss her at some point? Yeah, very odd. There's also some shots that I'm not. It's not that they telegraph what's about to happen. They just point out this is really stupid. So there's one point where Denise is going off to look for Tiger Williams, her son. I don't remember <laughs> his name. 
and she's walking past these houses on the thinnest, skimpiest, narrowest little stilts you ever saw. And I do mean stilts on yep, a hillside. And, you look at and it's it, like, you just go, that's coming down. Gosh, what's going to happen next? <laughs> and sure enough, the model buildings. Oops! Yeah. Heck, let's get to this part the yeah. special effects. To yeah. be fair, yeah. it's the 70s. It is. And the technology only goes so far. And I want to say there actually are a few shots here and there that I thought were pretty decent. There's one where we're looking out over Los Angeles, and you can see the Capitol Records building and a couple of other things. It's like, okay, we're looking at downtown Los Angeles. And the earthquake happens, and you start to see a couple of those buildings fall apart. And it's like, oh, I didn't realize that was a model. And then there are things like the houses going down the hill, which, I mean, you can almost see nike on the side of the shoebox that they were made from yep or and there's a, a cattle a truck carrying cattle that goes <laughs> off an overpass and you can see the plastic figures of the cows in the back <laughs> but do they dub in any moos no they don't <laughs> yeah well i think that would have made it too heartbreaking you know not the cows i yeah whatever yeah there is some points where they're showing buildings shaking and it is quite obviously what they have done is they've gotten themselves a nice polished piece of stainless steel they have shot the camera into that and they're bending Yes, yeah, to bend the reflection. That that big black building very clearly looks like, oh, Lodo, space and time is warping. Yeah, and whenever the rubble falls and it has touched anything being made of styrofoam, the paint yeah. chips off and it's like, huh. So underneath every piece of metal, concrete, and uh, steel, it's white. White and, oh, it's bouncing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was a little surprised. And also, why is so much of the smoke green? Because Lauren's in the movie. I guess that's it. <laughs> that's Lauren's green, I'll have you Lauren, know. <laughs> Lauren green smoke for that. Yeah, there's Lauren some green weird... smell. <laughs> Just scratch and sniff. <laughs> don't know where this is going, and I don't want to go yeah, there. Yeah. There's, I think that they honestly tried. I don't think this is from lack of effort or money. Mm -hmm. It's just that special effects have got that much better. And, yeah, and it's hard to... We're viewing them from a 21st century perspective, and it's... Sure. You know, this is like a few steps above Ed Wood hanging flying saucers from wires. It, but... it's, it's, I'm going to say it's a good deal better than that. To be fair, when Star Wars will come out three years later... There's some shots in that film that do not hold up. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. ILM or not, there's some shots. It's like, yeah, that's a model. That's a model. And they didn't fix them for the special edition. So for the time, I'm sure that they actually did very well. And people, like you said you were freaked out at the cartoon blood. That was unnecessary, yeah. but whatever. Yeah. But I... And some of the dam bursting scenes, I thought, were actually pretty cool. I thought that was um, well done. And when the uh, power transformer is falling onto the L.A. River, except for the part that it looks like it's actively trying to kill Tiger. <laughs> that the cables are like, yeah, we will get you, boy. <laughs> I'm going to get you, kid. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I'm sitting there wondering, how are they letting that child there? Because it's obviously there's sparks or something in the wires, whether they're electrocutable or not. But it's like, he's just lying in the middle of this. And, oh, now we're going to pick him up and hand him over our head up this dangling bridge. And it's like, that's still a kid. Maybe that I don't was a dummy. I don't think so. It's just <laughs> like, I think they just used the kid because you could do that in the 70s. And it's like, eh. I'm going to give the special effects a pass just because of the while time. they don't hold up, 
I think for the time they were actually probably pretty cool. I mean, they got an Academy Award nomination. Yeah. So, or no, they got a they, no, got, they got a, a win. They got a special they, award for it. Yeah. They got the uh, Hubing Hauser Award. I don't know. I just made that up. <laughs> I also thought that as bad as some of the shots were, it's actually pretty chilling to watch all of this yeah. stuff just fall apart and realize there is nothing you can do. Nothing. That is one of the really scary things that this movie does get across is people are running and screaming and realizing there's no safe place. Quick, get under here. Oh, that no. collapsed. Get under that. That collapsed. Stand out in the open. The ground splits open. Yeah. I mean, I think standing out in the middle of the street is probably the best option. I guess. I don't know. It's, it's more like, well, there's nothing we can do. Either yeah. it's going to kill us or it isn't. And... There are some plans put into place that I would highly question, like, ah, yes, the best place for everyone to gather oh, is the third floor down in a parking garage. <laughs> yeah, right after mall. a major earthquake, because <laughs> there's no such thing as aftershocks. Well, and also, it's like, yeah, underground, that's a great place to oh, be, because yeah. nothing could fall on top of you and make it really hard to get out. Although, luckily, when Charlton and George <laughs> go down with their jackhammer, it is the softest concrete in the world. Not to mention the fact... This jackhammer is so gentle, it does not <laughs> shake the, the unstable ground or walls around them and bring them crashing down on them. It's gentle on your skin, but tough on acne. And how did they get the people on the stretchers through that narrow little tunnel that they had to squeeze through? You mean Tiger? I don't know. Yeah, Although or there were a admit, couple of people on stretchers. If that was my real name, I would stick to it like glue. If I would no, <laughs> it's not a nickname. It's on my birth certificate. I am Tiger Williams. I would totally keep that name. Yeah, parents, sure that's what maybe Tiger the kids Woods. think like Tiger. It's awesome. Yep, Tiger Woods' <laughs> parents thought that. See? Yep. <laughs> and he won golf. All yep. of it. <laughs> he, he, yes, he, he won the golf. Yeah, the aftershock thing. I mean, my note was bets on there being one. And to be fair, it does make sense. It yeah, it happens. That that's sure. they, the, the, that's what bothered me. It's like only like two people mentioned. Hey, you know, there's probably going to be aftershocks. It's Los Angeles. Yeah, of, everybody uh, knows these things. They know about earthquakes. They have a whole thing at the beginning where there's a minor one. It's a 3.1. Californians don't even get out of bed for a 3.1. No. My sister has has said this many times. Oh, yeah, that's nothing. I think a plate, you know, the plates were shaking on the wall. It's fine. I don't care. Yeah. I I think it has to be over a four for them to even put their shoes on. Uh, I do have a question for you, Max. Maybe you can help me answer this. Does every older white guy in this film get a younger woman? Because I think they do. Uh, in some the, way or another, the doctor doesn't. Oh, that, now was he? Mar- he's from either Marcus Welby or um, the other one. Oh, uh, because uh, he's like that's all he he's ever. Not plays. Marcus Welby, but you're right. He plays a lot of doctors. He, yeah. he's in, he was in a major one of the big medical shows, and he doesn't even get a name in this. No, doctor. I think his I'm name is really Doctor. <laughs> yeah, and I think that he, was part he does of the, it. And uh, I don't know. Does Lauren Green? Yeah, he does. I can't remember his name. Was he? Like messing his with his secretary, you think? Or I don't. Does he get a? Um, who knows? But yeah. yeah, it's just there was seemed to be a lot of that going on. And yeah. like, mm, whatever. But we have some uh, talking points for our yeah. series, and uh, this one I think is going to be a little turnaround from last week. Is the disaster as presented in this film believable? Uh, yeah, disturbingly so. I think this is one. I think this is the other thing that creeped me out about it, although, you know, I've lived on the East Coast, and while we do have earthquakes here, we have apparently a fault running through part of New England that's bigger than the San Andreas. 
mm. but it's dormant or it's mm. much more stable or not shaky or I don't know what the term is. Yeah. So I didn't grow up with earthquakes. So nope. that scare that they scare me. The idea that just you can't trust the ground. And I think this movie, especially for its time, really presents that as terrifying. Would mm. you agree? I do. Um, and to be fair, I'm coming from the same angle you are. I've never been in an earthquake. All I remember, the biggest earthquake that I remember seeing footage of was the one in Oakland in, I think oh, it was yeah. the, the late 80s. Was, I thought it was 92. It, or early 90s. It was in around yeah. there somewhere. And it was devastating. Yeah, that was like over a seven. And it was like, you know, giant things falling over and bridges and all sorts of stuff. Like it was just, I think it was centered on Oakland. And it just, des- I can't use that word because it doesn't mean what we think it does. It just destroyed the all of downtown. And it was basically this movie, but in real life. Wow. Could this happen the same way it did in L.A.? I don't know. Probably, or close to it. The dam, I'm not sure about. I don't know if there's a dam just outside L.A. Maybe there, there is. There is. The one they use is the Mulholland Dam. They call okay. it the, the Los Angeles Dam, but there's no such thing. It's the Mulholland. I think okay. it's real. Okay. Well, I mean, it certainly looked real. I mean, we have a copter shot in the beginning. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the question, I'm going to turn this around. The second question is, if not, well, of course, we say it is believable. But is there something that could have been done to make it even more believable? Besides the special effects. I just mean... No, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, we, we said about the effects. I just, I can't think of anything. You? No, I think people's reactions are pretty spot on. I think that the idea of, I mean, there's going to be looting, for example. They don't shy away from that. Nope. Um, I will question the idea that nobody in uh, Jode's uh, national... Yeah. Jody Jodes, uh, that was his name, believe it or not. Uh, his National Guard troop already knew he was a psychopath because that yeah. seems unlikely. Yeah, that, that, that's odd. And that he apparently had risen. He was obviously the squad leader. So I, he had risen I'm not even a- sure of that. I think he was just had the gun and was shooting people with because he murders those three guys. Yep. They and, all had guns. The entire squad had machine guns. But they weren't using them. Yeah. He was like really t- well. He well. He was crazy because, yeah. to be fair, working in a grocery store will do that to a guy. <laughs> but no, I, I I agree. Especially for the time, I think the way they depict things, and this is you know setting the special effects aside, is pretty plausible. So I, I will give this this film that. Yeah, absolutely. But how are we doing on uh, notes? Do you have any uh, leftovers? So this stuff, but I think we've covered all the big stuff. Why don't we get to that big ending part? Because yeah, we've uh, spent most of that. the time trashing this film. Maybe. Yep. Maybe. The finish. So, Max. Yeah. Have you seen this since you were a kid? Nope. This is the first time I've seen it since the 70s. How much of it did you remember, just out of curiosity? Not very much. I remembered some. I remembered the basic thing. Like, I knew Charlton Heston was having an affair with somebody, and he was married to somebody else, and... His, uh, his father was Lauren Green, and I knew the motorcycle stuff. And it, actually, you know, now that I think of it, I remember it quite a bit. Hmm. It made an impression, probably because it, it freaked me out so much. So, of course, when you were a kid, I mean, it's hard. You probably didn't have all of your, um, how shall we put this, your film critique skills <laughs> in place. Yeah. So you probably just came away saying, oh, my God, that was scary or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I, I thought, wow, that was really effective and really good, and everybody was amazing. Even the sense around? It, well, I, even the sense around was just like, 
Did it? This theater I saw it is in was next to a train track, <laughs> so it was not unusual for the building to shake suddenly. It's not unusual for the theater to shake. Yep, pretty much. What so about how you? About, oh, Sorry, no, no, yeah. no. How about now? So now you just watched oh. it for the show, and now you know it's fifty years old or nearly well, there. You know, it is a, a very different perspective. As a depiction of a disaster, I think it's pretty good. I mean, it is still upsetting. Mm-hmm. You do look now. You pay more attention to as you say. Well, there's a styrofoam boulder, and yeah, look out for that rock. It's real heavy. <laughs> oh, it missed him. But as a depiction of an earthquake, in terms of like the, I still like the, that little throwaway of somebody yells at somebody, go into the you know, in the house, turn off the gas, and the guy oh. runs in and he's got a cigarette in his mouth, <laughs> and the house blows up. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I yeah, if you run in with a burning cigarette, yes, that's going to happen. Well, especially since there's now legislation pending about yeah. getting rid of gas-burning stoves. Yeah. So, who yeah. knows? So, which in as Charlton Heston says, you'll tear it from my cold dead fingers because they'll be cold because the stove isn't on. So, how about as a film? Okay, as a film, not so much. I mean, they try all these characters to have multi-layers and backstory, and they don't get... There are too many of them. Mm-hmm. So you get nothing. Everything is very surface level. And like I say, the editing, I think, is bad. <laughs> it, it jumps around too jarringly. It looks like just they didn't bother with it. It's like, okay, this scene is finished. We'll stick it on the end of this scene. There are moments I like Walter Matthau. He's fun. I just don't think he fits in this film at all. He doesn't all. fit at all, but by himself, he's fun. Let's watch him drink, and it's still funny. <laughs> so, as far as the editing goes, I found out something interesting. When this film first got shown on TV, only two years later, so 1976, yeah. they wanted to make it an event, capital yeah, E. Yeah, yep, I remember this. So. It was a two-nighter. Now, the only way... The film's two hours, which usually yeah. gets shortened down to about an hour and 20, an hour and 30. They decided to go the other way. And they actually... They didn't have extra footage left over that they could put in. They shot extra footage and added oh, wow. characters and plot lines that were not in the film. Oh, good. So That's what it needed was more characters <laughs> and more subplots. So there was this whole other plot of these two people on a plane... That are trying to land in L.A. Uh-huh. and they're coming in, and they the earthquake's happening. They barely don't land, and they may are sent off to San yeah. Francisco instead. So they that whole thing was added so that they could have a two night event of earthquake. They changed. They took a few things out. They added. They took a few things that had been edited out and put them back in. Huh. But it was this whole giant extra thing. <laughs> So if you disliked it being two hours, you'll hate it at four. <laughs> so what about you? You said uh, you had seen it as a kid, didn't you? On TV. On I, TV. In fact, okay. I may have seen that horrible version. <laughs> I don't know. I remember two things. I remember the scene where in the stairway after the earthquake, they're lowering people on the fire hose. Oh, yeah. And that it, it rips. And thankfully, we also know, besides listen to dogs, the answer in an earthquake is... Pantyhose! Yep, pantyhose will save you. Yeah, uh, I remember that. I remember somebody, and I was pretty sure it was Charlton Heston getting washed away through the open manhole cover, and I was right. Um, I'm going to basically be right 
along with you. I think that it actually depicts the ideas in the film, the depiction of the earthquake, what they're trying to show, whether the special effects are successful or not, is actually pretty accurate. I think that the way people react to it is pretty accurate. Yeah. The way that people react ahead of time to, oh, crap, this thing's coming, what do we do, is pretty accurate. But we spend a lot of time with people we don't like yeah. and are trying to made make to like, and we don't like them. Some of the portrayals are range from adequate to, oh, yeah. dear God, we really have to watch Charlton Heston take <laughs> his clothes off. <coughs> so as a film... I think it suffers a lot from its being made in the 70s because things were more like that. And this is funny because usually we get upset when there's no character development and we're like, why should we care if so-and-so dies? In this case, you've given us a lot about them and we still don't care if they die. Or yeah, you give they've us given us a lot that they haven't done it well. No. I don't think it was particularly well directed. I'm interested to see what the original script was like. Yeah, because um, it's Mario Puzo, who, as we know, can write a script. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they got some guy who did commercials. To, okay, whatever. So I don't think it holds up. It's something you might watch as a a curiosity or, huh? What was disaster porn like when it first started? Yeah. Otherwise, I'm only glad that it wasn't longer. Yeah, this is surprisingly concise yeah. for a disaster movie. It also gives me the idea that I wonder if one of the reasons that people watch disaster porn is actually for the end so that they can actually see. Yeah, we like to watch stuff get destroyed and, you know, we like to see Charlton Heston get killed. But we also want to know that everything's going to be OK. Like no yeah. matter what, even, you know, things the fall human out of the sky. spirit will triumph, except well, <laughs> that the ending of this is pretty dark. I, we're looking at the rubble and what's the doctor? The last line is the doctor says. This used to be a hell of a town. Yeah, but it is again. Same thing with Oakland. They rebuilt Oakland. I, we don't get. There's no sense of that here. But we do get a sense of not having to deal with Charlton Heston, and I think that's yeah, that's actually true, pretty enough. True. An, <laughs> we do have a city now that is Charlton Heston free, except yep. he was the one who I assumed who was going to single-handedly rebuild it. He, he sure. Yeah. Yeah, he's yep. an architect, just like uh, Mr. Brady. Anyway. <laughs> That's our assessment for that, but uh, would yep. you go over the poll question again for folks so we can get some cool answers? I will. What is your favorite cinematic hand-to-hand -hand fight scene, with or without melee weapons? No guns. And you can answer that question by either emailing us at us at maxmikemovies.com, or you can go to our website, maxmikemovies.com, and leave a comment, or you can find us on our lone social media account on Facebook under Max Mike Movies. Pay no attention to the digital tumbleweeds that are just heading through it. Tumble, 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 tumble. Tumble, tumble. And you can, of course, always find us on the podcast app of your choice or the podcast, even the podcast apps you didn't choose. We're there, too. We're everywhere. We're Pretty Beatrice. <laughs> Beatrice. Yeah, there's an obscure one. <laughs> yeah. But... We are still knee-deep in porn. <laughs> so, what cinematic wreck are we going to check out next week, Mike? Well, there's a few names in disaster porn that you can't avoid if you're going to take the subject 
seriously. Please True. note the heavy use of quotes there. <laughs> yeah, and Irwin one of them Allen, is, yeah. Yeah, Irwin Allen is definitely one of them. Uh, whoever did this was nobody. Well, no, we could avoid him. Yeah. Uh, but uh, one of the big names in disaster porn of current days is Dean Devlin. No. Oh, what? <laughs> we already dealt with him in Geostorm. Oh, right, right. How do I make my voice do that? Um, is Roland Emmerich. Uh, excuse me. That is Roland Emmerich. Yeah. Nobody blows stuff up real good like <laughs> Roland Emmerich. And to be fair, he's gotten a little bit more blowy-uppy than he used to be. It used to be he also had a story involved. And uh, one of those early films is, of course, Charlie and the Chocolate... No. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, Independence Day, or ID4, as some people know it. And, of course, this film is slightly problematic because one of its main stars, perhaps you could say the main star, recently um, um, pimp-slapped somebody in front of yeah. the entire world. That would yeah. be Will Smith. Yeah, he really kind of turned the Oscars into the wild, wild west, y'all. <laughs> Get down. So, if you would like to see... Things like Hollywood blown up one more time. <laughs> Join us next week for yes. the wonderful film ID4 Independence Day and watch it all explode again. This has been a co production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. 